What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What they discovered upon their arrival was almost unspeakable. We are all involved in some form or another. The dead won't bother you. It's the living you got to worry about. If I couldn't keep them there with me whole, I, at least I felt that I could keep uh, their skeletons. Well, hello, everyone. Hello. So you'll come in to the Bad Taste Crime podcast. I am Janelle. I'm Vicky. Did you notice a little difference there? <laughs> yeah. So before we get too far into things, we are going through a slight rebranding if you can call it that (laughs) if you can call it that i'm calling that to keep it positive (laughs) yes (laughs) essentially i mean i think just in the interest of transparency we will tell you what has happened is uh somebody who will not be named has (laughs) easy to figure out (laughs) but will be easy to find Uh has opted to trademark the word which we will probably have to bleep. <laughs> well, am I not allowed to just say the word? I don't know. Is that Who a- knows? But you know what? Tiff, just know. bleep it anyway. <laughs> okay. You'll see. It's the word missing from the beginning of our um, title that we've had for almost four years. Um, yes. So essentially, we're in a trademark dispute a little bit. And we have opted to rebrand ourselves slightly so that we can continue to do the thing that we love and bring you guys content and talk about crime and keep going for another four years or however long. I don't know. So you will see some changes. You probably have seen some changes already. You will see some changes soon um, to artwork and to the names and to the merch and you know, a whole bunch of other stuff. As we change things, we will let you know. We do have a new website you can find us at. It's at badtastepodcast.com. I could say that because that's already up and running. I'm like yep. confident that's not going <laughs> to um, get our, goofed up. Our, uh, our email will stay the same. Yeah. But there will just be slight alterations to the name on social media. But you will still be able to find us if you type in either either or. You will still be able to find yeah. us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So with that said, Janelle, I think you had a fun little 
Some little something, something yeah. for the beginning of our show today. So I thought I'd do some fun facts for you to sort of like get all of the aggression out and talk about some of the stupidest trademark copyright cases. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because we're all about having fun um, and not being serious at all. Yep. So the first one I wanted to just bring up here is that in 2013, Subway attempted to trademark the term footlong. For their $5 footlongs. Okay. Guess what? Didn't happen. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh-huh. Um, let's see. Also, uh, Marvel and DC were in a fight to trademark the term superhero. Okay. Of course, that also didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just thinking about it, actually, going back to Subway, I wonder how they were able to trademark the word Subway. Exactly. I think they trademarked it. That's a pretty common word. As Subway to, uh, LLC or something. It's like their entire corporation name. Oh, gotcha. Okay, continue. Whatever the heck that is. <clears throat> Again, we are not copyright lawyers or trademark lawyers, so who the fuck no. knows? Um, nope. In 2008, the New England Patriots had finished the season with almost a perfect record, 19-0. and 0, Almost 19-0. and 0, um, But they filed for a trademark on 19-0, and 0, the record for a would-be perfect season, unfortunately, was turned upside down. Uh, they lost 17 to 14 in the Super Bowl to the Giants. So they actually weren't 19 and 0. Um, oh, but no. they still attempted to trademark 19 and 0. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. It gets I'm guessing better. that didn't go through. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> so the next crazy thing are you a Taylor Swift fan at all? Vicky, um, I am not ashamed to say I do love me some T Swift. Okay, well, she filed for a trademark application for the ownership of 1989, her album, uh, but also it's yes. a fucking year. <laughs> yes. Wow. Um, on top of that, she also already owns trademarks. Uh, th- this sick beat she owns and party like it's 1989 she owns. And she also owns because okay. we never go out of style. Okay. <laughs> Part of me You're was welcome. waiting for you to to say that she owned Red because, of course, one of her other I albums mean, is Red. <laughs> that's probably in the works somewhere. <laughs> would not be surprised. Yeah. Um, there was a heated trademark battle between Walmart and a London-based company called Smiley World. Smiley <laughs> World actually registered a smiley face logo in 1971. And obviously, oh. if you've ever been to Walmart, you know they have a smiley face or they did have a smiley they face on everything. Yeah. The lawsuit dragged on for seven years and was finally finished in 2010. Walmart gave up on the smiley face and phased it out. Oh, so that's why they... So you can beat a large corporation. (laughs) So that's why they phased it out, huh? They did, yeah. Dang. Now, do you remember... The Paris Hilton show. What was it? The the Simple Life or whatever the fuck that was. Yes. Yeah. So, obviously, she coined the catchphrase, that's hot. 
Right. She also trademarked it. But in 2009, she attempted to sue Hallmark Gifts over a card that used the words, that's hot, in a phrase. Wow. Now, this went on to a Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals that gave Hilton the win. And she eventually settled with Hallmark, but they did not pull the card off the shelf. Okay. And then we're going to end it with the orange man himself. Oh, God. The Apprentice. I'm sure you remember that, right? Yes. Okay. Well, he attempted to trademark your fired from his catch, you know, the catchphrase from his show. But oh my God. because okay. it was already too similar to another catchphrase called you're hired, it was denied. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So those wow. are some stupid ass trademark copyright cases. If you don't know this already, Vicky and I are, I would say, more copyleft people being artists. So yeah. we're trying to take this with a grain of salt and make fun of it and look on the lighter side because it is so absolutely absurd. So uh, yes. I hope you enjoyed yeah. that that little list. And if you find any interesting, dumb copyright and trademark cases that you've come across, send it to us and let us know. We enjoy a good laugh. <laughs> oh, yeah. I would love to just have weeks and weeks of sharing stupid copyright and trademark claims. Um, yes. <laughs> like I was trying forever. to find one specifically so that was really hilarious. Somebody tried to trademark the word the. Oh, my God. Yeah. And it's like you you can't do that. No. <laughs> you can't no. trademark a common word. <laughs> or in oh, the year boy. 1989, Taylor Swift. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, so that's that. That's our little bit of housekeeping yeah. <laughs> that we needed to do. The fact is, we're here to stay, and we're here to bring you great content. So with that said, if this is your first time listening, a special hello to you. We've got another great show for you. And, and you're probably very confused. <laughs> yes. Yeah, this is probably a weird one to come in on if this is the first episode. Yeah. You're Maybe go back to. a few. <laughs> but welcome to a new era of bad taste. <laughs> yes. We're, we're still the BTC fam. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But we're, uh, I think for right now, we're just going to head over to the newsroom. So our news today comes from Georgia. Um, it actually comes from thepigeonexpress.com. But we're in Georgia. Not literally. But the blue state? Enough. The blue Sorry, state of Georgia. Podcast. <laughs> um, it's, you know what? You're just stating facts, Janelle. You're I'm just, just stating, stating facts. facts now. <laughs> so in the lovely blue state of Georgia... <laughs> There was a 47-year-old woman named Kimberly Ragsdale who was charged with impersonating a public officer after she pretended to be an FBI agent in order to get free food at Chick-fil-A. Damn. <laughs> yeah. Hard flex. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Of all the places to pretend to be an FBI agent. I know. (laughs) The employees called the police and they told them that she had shown up at the restaurant a couple of times during the week, posing as a federal agent while driving a white minivan. That's her undercover. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. And she's threatening to take employees into custody if they didn't uh, give her free food. And when the police finally caught her, like showed up to the restaurant and caught her, they said, (laughs) this is, I'm just going to quote directly (laughs) from this article from the Pigeon Express says, quote, It added that the woman continued the farce as police arrived to arrest her in the restaurant parking lot on Thursday last week, reporting, reportedly claiming to officers she was an FBI agent and heard that, that her credentials were electronic. While being handcuffed, she allegedly began to talk into her shirt like she was talking into a radio, (laughs) telling someone that we were arresting her and to send someone to Rockmart PD. I don't mean to laugh. I hope this woman does not have a serious mental problem. But all I could think of right. was that meme of Spider-Man pointing at himself. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. You know what? I got to give her credit for commitment. She committed hard. That's for sure. Yeah. That was like That's a Michael sure. Scott commitment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So she was arrested and jailed, but she was also released on a $3,000 bond pending trial. This is, you know what? This is just some lighthearted fun that I wanted to bring in. I just, so funny. (laughs) Just the extent that people will go to. I wonder if she ever thought that she'd actually get away with it. Because unless you're an asshole, I also don't think that (laughs) police officers show up to like McDonald's, like, give me free food. Yeah, because well, I mean, well, I'm also I'm pretty sure that's a surefire way to make sure your food's going to get spit in, right? Yes, I worked at a Starbucks for a very long time, and there was a police yes. officer who would come in often, and there was a couple people who would give them uh, free coffee every single time. But when it was a different person in the drive-through or at the front register, they were kind of like, "Um, excuse me, what? I have to pay for this?" It's like, yes. Yeah, you pay like all the other people. Business works. Yeah, (laughs) I can give you a discount of ten cents. (laughs) Yeah, it's not free. (laughs) Wow. Yes. So, (laughs) so that's that's a fun thing. Good job, Georgia. Moving right along to Netflix and Kill. This week we are talking about if you couldn't guess already, Unsolved Mysteries Part Two has now been released. (laughs) We are quite a ways. I realize we are quite a ways out from it. With the Maybe It's Spiritual crossover that we did, uh, mm-hmm. it kind of put our episodes a little funky. So now we're getting to it now. Don't worry. We're going to talk about it right now. <laughs> uh, it was released October 19th. It gave us one, two, three, four, five more episodes. Mm-hmm. Really good stuff. So we're going to talk about them. Spoiler alert, because we're going to talk about them. <laughs> and we're going to talk Sorry. about them. <laughs> Right now. Um, So so the first, let me just run through them really quick. Mm -hmm. First one is called Washington Inside Murder. It's about the death of John P. Wheeler III. Second one is Death in Oslo, which is this case of an unidentified woman who died in a hotel in Norway. The third is Death Row Fugitive, which is about the 
escape of Lester Eubanks from prison after he was convicted of murder and uh, sexual assault. And um, let me see what else we got. Tsunami spirits about the ghosts mm-hmm. uh, in Japan <laughs> after the tsunami mm-hmm. in 2011. Lady in the Lake, which is about the death of Joanne Romaine, um, who mysteriously died in a, well, river. They call it Lady in the Lake, but I'm pretty sure it's a river. Might be a lake. And then the, the final one that they brought to us was Stolen Kids, which is the story of these two toddlers who went missing um, within just a couple months of each other in Harlem in 1989 from a playground. Okay, so... Lots of stuff to absorb there. <laughs> if you haven't watched it already, please do. I will say it just it is a, quite the variety of cases. Yes. Um as is standard unsolved mysteries style. I'm glad they um I brought in the paranormal stuff to this one. <laughs> I was just going to say I was not prepared for the tsunami ghosts. Sorry, girl. I was. I. I literally. I. I cried at the end of that one. I was like, "Oh God!" Did you? Oh. I did. It got me. It oh. got me because of how people were talking and how that um that monk was speaking about everything. Yeah. It got me. It got me hard. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's definitely sad, and I do think there is like a different level of spirituality in Japan, like regarding their. Their honoring ancestors, of death. yeah, and their yes, their honoring of death and the way that it is processed is very different than it is in the United States for sure, <laughs> which I think makes it more conducive to something like um, people seeing ghosts after a giant massive event that killed a ton of people, mm-hmm. um, like a tsunami. I don't know. It was good. It was, it was well put together. I personally really like the John P. Wheeler episode, which is the Washington murder or death, I guess, disappearance. Yeah. It's, it's very strange, uh, but they have a lot of video of him kind of wandering around a parking garage. It almost looks like he's trying to get away from somebody. He changed his clothes at one point. Like, that one is just like very, very strange. Yeah, it definitely um, echoes a couple of cases that we've covered before. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of um, the oh, what is her name? The girl who ends up in the water tower at the hotel. Oh, uh, a, a lamb. What's her first name? Alyssa Lamb. Alyssa? El- Eliza Lamb. Eliza Lamb. <laughs> or Alyssa Lamb. Yeah, I pe- I hear people say both, but. It reminded me a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah, I really like the, the tsunami episode. I feel like the last three episodes were yes. my favorite. Um, be, I yeah. think it's just because the first two were so very like kind of slow in their building. The last three, I think, just had a lot more like I don't want to say action, but like a lot more investigation, and the investigators were very committed. Um, especially the lady in the lake one where they, the guy yes. has the woman walk down in heels. <laughs> oh my God. I know. I, just, I was like, I relive wow. that in my mind so much. <laughs> yeah. And that one was really interesting. So the premise is this woman, uh, Joanne Romaine, she was at church, which is directly across from this body of water in the middle of winter with the steep decline and then like a bunch of rocks at the bottom. Mm-hmm. 
and authorities in the area are claiming that she simply walked into the frozen river and committed suicide. But there is a ton of evidence, like a ton of evidence that points to um, something far more nefarious happening, which is like, how could you not investigate that further, especially after her body is found downriver in the middle, like the fact that there was no water flow. It was all frozen over. Mm-hmm. So how did her body get from one point to another? You know, like there's a lot of things in that one. They talk about the purse yeah. being ripped and how it wasn't indicative of somebody trying to grab her. But when they show the purse on the episode, I'm like, yes, it is. Like it was like a yeah. huge, hole in this bag yeah i've ripped my bags before usually you'll like rip the interior or you'll bust the mm-hmm. zipper but that was like an a down angled rip <laughs> yeah um yeah you would have had to get it stuck on something and yank it really hard to make that rip yourself but oh it, my gosh, as i yeah. was watching it it was definitely making me think of the kathleen ryan case where she was found in her car on fire and it's like yes what how you know but it was is definitely uh, i just kept seeing things that we've covered in all of these other cases i think is why yes. this particular like this season seemed a little bit better to me than the first one so i would i i actually think that i prefer the part one over part two mm-hmm. but i also wonder if that's because when part one came out, there was a lot of hype. We were like waiting for this return of unsolved mysteries. So I was <laughs> a little bit more excited about it. Not to say I wasn't excited about part two, but they're all good. It's all good. Yes. Stuff. I mean, nothing Let's can be beat the OG, but <laughs> no, <laughs> it's yeah, good. true, true, true. <laughs> so check it out. It's on Netflix right now. I believe they're doing a part three or a season three. Probably. I'm sure they will. There's, they've gotten tons of tips from, all of these episodes that they have put out already just from the like the 10 that they've done they've gotten a ton of tips and have gotten a ton of leads on these cases that have not had leads for years and years and years so it's interesting the system still works of like mm-hmm. it's interesting how when you provide information to people all of a sudden you start getting information back weird wow. weird how it's that like, works out it's like doing a job and then like seeing results yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So this is that part of the show where we say content may not be appropriate for all listeners. We are talking about instances of murder and wilderness. Murder and wilderness. <laughs> we'll say. Yeah. If the wilderness is scary, this might not be the one for you. No. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, what are we talking about today, Janelle? Well, you know, since we're living in dark times, I figured we go to the darkest mm-hmm. place I could think of. Alaska. Uh, good old alaska we're gonna be talking about alaskan crimes if you're not familiar i put in a i don't know if you if you can see all of this but i put in a bunch of infographics about alaska okay okay yeah because when you when you had said originally that we were going to cover alaska alaskan crimes i was like there honestly cannot be that many murders there, right? Because it's not like a hugely populated area. And you were like, oh, you sweet summer Hold child. <laughs> <laughs> you naive little girl. <laughs> um, Alaska is actually one of the most dangerous states in the nation. So, which is um, crazy to me. Yeah. 
it sounds absolutely crazy because, like you said, there aren't that many people in there, right? Right. But, you know, I know people who have lived in Alaska. You know, there's artists that I've worked with who have went up there and done residencies for months at a time. And they have all described it as like a very beautiful place, but also the most dangerous place they've ever been in. Because not only are we going to talk about the crime aspect of it, but um, you could get mauled by a bear in literally a city, like the largest city of Anchorage. People go hiking and get attacked by bears. (laughs) So you have all of these uh, wildlife and natural elements. I mean, the weather, there's six months of darkness high rates of depression. It's it's just, it's not a place for everybody. But the crime aspect of it is what has always stuck out to me because yes, I can understand the wilderness. You're like the northernmost part of the fucking, you know, North America and it's mm-hmm. nothing but wildlife. So I can understand that. But the crime is what shook me, I guess, a little bit. Yeah. Um, Because compared to the national crime rates, Alaska is higher than the national average in just about every type of crime you can think of. Yeah. The highest rates of crime go in this order. Aggravated assault, rape, property crime, and then violent crimes like homicide. That is honestly just crazy to me. Yes, it is insane. Um, the most shocking statistic to me was the rape rate, which yes. is increasing actually and has yeah. been increasing for the past five years. Uh, statistically in Alaska, there is a rape every seven hours. That is absolutely bonkers. And honestly, on par with it's funny because you have this, it's an infographic of basically rape across the nation. <laughs> That does not sound pleasant. It's, um, well, it's not. Yes, it certainly yes. isn't. Yes, it's the frequency of, of rapes in these states. Yeah, Alaska is right on par with South Dakota. Um, Which also is like, rape. what the fuck? Yeah. Yes and no. South Dakota has been around in, in the news a lot for like the increased amount of rape in their state. It's insane. Yeah, so the two the two states with the highest rape uh, percentage is Alaska and South Dakota, followed by New Mexico, Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Michigan. Get it together, guys. So just, I mean, California is the 0 to 20% range. California, with an exorbitant amount of people, mm-hmm. has the lowest amount of rape. Just think mm-hmm. about it. Even New York, which is surprising, like... Yeah. Is in that range too. Illinois has higher than New York and California. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I also put in here a infographic that kind of breaks down Alaska's crime stats per 100,000 people, and it mm-hmm. has aggravated assault, murder, burglary, and grand theft auto on it. And you can see where the national average is and by this red line and how much higher all of the crime is in comparison. Yeah. Um, surprisingly, burglary is kind of on the lower end, and that's like burglarizing like homes and property. Mm-hmm. They put the the theft of vehicles in a separate category. So it's, it's I, w- I wonder if burglary bananas. isn't as high because I know some of the reason why some of these crime stats are so high is because of the prevalence of guns in the area. Yes. Like everybody and their mm-hmm. mother has a gun out in Alaska. Well, you have to. I mean. Right. You're in the wilderness. Yeah. (laughs) 
you're in the wilderness and there's wild animals and stuff. And I wonder if that's why burglary is not as like dramatic as some of these mm-hmm. other things is because just everybody has guns so nobody wants to steal your shit, you know? <laughs> but also like burglarizing in the dead of winter is kind of, yes. kind of like not cool. Um, You have to be like outside and cold and lug things around. So I'm thinking like the temperature has a little bit to do with yeah. it as well. <laughs> Can you imagine trying to burgle somebody's home in the dead of winter when it's super cold out? You have to worry about somebody coming out with a gun and you have to worry about getting attacked by a bear or a moose on the other side. So like, And it's pitch black for like 24 hours because when their winter comes, it is dark all the time. Yeah, probably not the best burglary state. (laughs) No. So understandable why cars are, you know, taken more. Yeah. But, I mean, it's staggering. The statistics are insane. It it has a lot to do with density of the population, but it also has a little bit to do with the fact that the state is 52% male. <laughs> Dang, really? So the aggravated assault aspect, there's a lot of people getting into fights. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Of course. So that's probably why that's the number one um, crime in Alaska is people punching each other in the face. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. But if you think about it, there's a lot of like industries up there. There's like oil, gas, uh, fishing industries, all very male heavy industries. And Mm -hmm. they're not living up there permanently. A lot of those jobs are seasonal. So they go up there and then they go back to their home, wherever that is. That also has something to do with the statistics as well. People coming in for short periods of time, rebel rousing, and then leaving the state. (laughs) Yeah. So I think this is why you can see that I was interested in covering crime in the land of the midnight sun. Fun fact. I get it now. (laughs) (laughs) So for my case, I wanted to look at something that I thought was a little bit bizarre and also kind of a little bit unbelievable. So we're going to the largest city in Alaska for this story, Anchorage. Okay. And it is 2016 in Anchorage, Alaska. And there is a rash of murders along hiking trails that are putting residents on edge. All right. On July 3rd, 2016, the bodies of 20-year-old Brianna Fauci and 41-year-old Jason Netter Sr. were found on a trail near Ship Creek at 7.45 a.m. Information about their death is limited, but it looks like they were shot to death with a 357 Colt Python revolver on the trail. Now, the police reviewed surveillance footage and they released footage of two men who were found to kind of be meandering around the trail around that time. And they stated in the public that they were people of interest. They didn't say anything else. That was it. Okay. Now the funny thing is that the police didn't send this to the public right away, but the two people that were found shot on the trail were not together. Oh, it appears that they just happened to be both at the wrong place at the wrong time. Oh my god. So they were found at two kind of separate spots on the trail, shot to death basically at the same time. Oh my gosh. Now, July 29th. The body of 21-year-old Trevanian Kindell Thompson was found between Dubin Avenue and Bolin Street in East Anchorage. It appears that Travion Kindell was on his bike when he was shot. He was returning home from uh, his job. And it also appears that there was a considerable amount of witnesses to the crime. Oh. In fact, there were three girls at a sleepover who saw a man standing in the street under a street lamp 
they heard gunshots and then they saw a, a boy on a bike fall over and then the man under the street lamp walk over to him and take his bike. Okay. Now, there were enough eyewitnesses at the scene that the police were able to produce a sketch of the person. Oh, good. They had not connected the cases of the people being shot on the trail with the the boy being shot on the street, but they realized that the footage from the surveillance cameras and the sketch seemed a little bit similar. They didn't want to release any additional information because they thought it would cause the murderer to go on a run, so they weren't releasing the sketch publicly as of yet. Okay. August 28th, 2016, the bodies of 34-year-old Kevin Turner and 25-year-old Bryant DeHewson were found in the Valley of the Moon Park by a runner at 1.45 a.m. They had been shot to death, with Turner having multiple bullet wounds in his body, and they were found just off the trail, or he was found just off the trail in a pavilion. Okay. DeHewson and Turner were also not together at the times of their death but they were actually in very close proximity to one another when they were both attacked. Damn, this is just like terrible timing all around. Exactly. Also, how many people are out and about at like one o'clock in the morning on a fucking running trail? I mean, when you don't have much else to do. That's true. (laughs) Now, the last two deaths brought to Anchorage PD's attention that they might have a serial killer on the loose. They decided to call in the FBI to investigate. Lab tests were then conducted on the bullet wounds and casings found in all of the cases in the area. It was determined that the shootings were all linked by the same gun. Now, APD did not make a public statement at this time. Instead, they sent out a citizen's advisory stating that no person should be out after dark and that people should not be walking alone on the trails. They didn't release that there were connected cases or that they thought there was a serial killer on the loose. This might have also something to do with the victims. Half of the victims were homeless and or drug addicts. It was also might have something to do with the fact that there were already four mur- other murders on the trails in Anchorage that year since January. So <laughs> do you think that the background of the victims is like, was it one of these things where it was like, oh, they're homeless or they're drug addicts? It doesn't matter as much about who they are. Like, is do you think it was like that kind of a thing? Yeah. So um, my understanding from reading the police reports is that they thought that these people were shot due to some sort of drug deal gone wrong or them um, them attempting to rob somebody else. Okay. Okay. Um, But there is actually no evidence of that. Um, None of these people had weapons on them. The people who were considered drug addicts, the two people, were not even high at the time that they were found. Okay. So... (laughs) I gotcha. I just mentioned that because in all of the news stories that I was reading, they made this point to talk about extensively how, you know, certain people were drug addicts or that they were homeless and lived in a homeless encampment. And I was like, that has actually nothing to do with why they were shot in the end. And I don't think it's an important point to mention that, oh, this person was a drug addict and that's why they're dead. Those yeah. two facts are not mutually exclusive. Just because someone's right. a drug addict doesn't mean they're going to wind up fucking being shot to death. Right. I feel like news coverage of cases of people who have a drug addiction or who are poor and live on the street 
is deplorable and I don't like to um, kind of buy into that. So I have a tendency right. to leave that information out because it's not important to who they were. They were homeless yeah. and that's that. We don't need to discuss it further. Yeah, I do think it's it's very easy for police to point at something like that and say, well, obviously, this is just a product of the lifestyle that they were living. When exactly. in reality, it's disgusting. It's, <laughs> yeah, right, right. So that's I, that's why I wanted to ask, because it seemed like that. I just wanted to, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And I debated for a while um, with myself whether or not I should put, it was like a fucking four paragraph description of this one person being homeless and a drug addict. And I was like, you know what? This isn't important to to their story or to the story as a whole. So they were on tough times and they were addicted to drugs. That doesn't mean that they were, that it was totally fucking okay for them to get shot and to be left on a trail. Right. So not only that, but there were a lot of murders happening in 2016. And I feel like police were very apprehensive to release information because they didn't want to get people all kind of whipped up into a frenzy and having to like, mm-hmm. you know, pack heat and carry guns everywhere they went, which I mean, most people already do up there, but yeah, you don't want people to, you don't want to give people a reason to use their firearms <laughs> for right, yeah. no reason. Um, yeah. <laughs> so 2016 had a really high rate of murder even outside of this case. Mm-hmm. I mean, murders and assaults were such a problem on hiking trails in Anchorage that there was a trail watch program, which was very similar to the neighborhood watch program. There were people who would go out, they had these little vests, they were carrying firearms, oh and they would walk the trails to make sure that yeah. people weren't killing somebody or assaulting someone. <laughs> so, Yeah, good. Another reason not to be a runner. <laughs> oh my god. It's so true. How many stories, not even just in Alaska, but like all over the United States, have we heard of people running and being attacked all the fucking exactly. time? Don't do the That's healthy I things. Always, I always, I don't run really. I take my dog on a nice walk, but I always yeah. carry with me what I like to call my danger pocket. Your what? My danger pocket. My danger pocket. <laughs> pocket. My danger okay. pocket contains a knife and pepper spray. <laughs> Gotcha. I always have my danger pocket with me. <laughs> just this is in case why, honestly, danger. <laughs> I'm sure people are going to criticize me for this too, but this is why I always leave my Google location on. Hey, girl. I'm not dumb. Like, <laughs> you'll be able to find me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I think I'm just so used. Well, I mean, like, I went to school at a place that was not exactly safe for a girl to be walking around at night. College. Oh, I was like, "Ah." I used to go. Yeah. Not high school. Yeah. yeah. I used to walk from the train station in Chicago to a bunch of places by myself at all hours of the day, you know, for jobs and internships and things. So I think I'm just more acutely aware of people being around me. Yeah. But yeah, that's why you always, a girl's got to have a danger pocket. That's what I always say. It's true. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) So. All of this was happening between June and August, and it took until September 12th for them to finally release the sketch to the public. Wow. And the release of the sketch brought in over 500 tips. Huh. Funny how that works out. <laughs> it's almost like we knew this was going to happen. Wow. So the tips were coming in, but they still weren't really getting anywhere. So the FBI decided to offer a $10,000 reward leading to the apprehension of the suspect responsible for specifically Thompson's murder, 
They also refused to comment on any connection to the other murders due to the concern that the acknowledgement that the weapon was what was tying all the crimes together would run the risk of prompting the killer to get rid of it. Okay. Okay. So that 357 Python was what was tying all of these cases together. Yeah. And that's understandable. Like when you're releasing information to the media, there's a lot of weighing you have to do because anything that you say mm-hmm. potentially has has the effect of, you know, causing the person you're looking for to take different measures than he probably, mm-hmm. he or she probably would have, you know? Yeah. So the joint APD and FBI task force subsequently received upwards of additionally 175 tips following the two months after the reward was released. Now, Trivion Kendall Thompson's mother was at her wit's end with all of this, and she actually decided to conduct an investigation of her own. Trivion's mother's name is Mandy Primo. Mandy decided to go to some of the homeless camps in the area looking for the man in the sketch. One day, she called the police and stated that she was sure that she had found the man. She was in one of the camps, and uh, it was near a hospital, and she stated that he was standing outside around the hospital, and she thought that he was carrying a gun in his hand. The police informed Primo to stand down and do not approach the man. So she did what they said. They sent an officer out, but the man was gone. Oh my god. Okay. Now, nothing else came out of this event, and Mandy Primo stopped looking on the street for the killer, but kept, like, calling the detectives and being like, look, I know I saw him. I found him. You need to go investigate this area. Like he's obviously at the homeless camps. Like you need to go and fucking, you know, stake it out. Right. Now this was all happening between September and November. Now it's November 12th. Anchorage police department officer Saleo was called to investigate a man not paying his cab fare at 4 30 AM. The officer spotted a man on the street near the crime and asked the man if he had seen anything. The man did not answer and kept walking. So the officer asked again, and the man turned around quickly and began shooting at the police. Oh my god. Now, another APD officer was in the area and arrived on the scene. The first officer, Saleo, was hit several times and was badly injured, but did survive his wounds. The second officer gunned down the man on the street. The man killed was James Dale Ritchie, and the gun found on him was a 357 Colt Python revolver. Wow, that escalated quickly. So, James Dale Ritchie was 40 years old, and he was an Alaska, Anchorage, Alaska specifically, native. He had attended East Anchorage High School, where he stood out as an exceptional athlete. This was repeated several times in all the things that I read, that he was this amazing athlete. Okay. <laughs> he he played uh, basketball and football, and he was recruited for the West Virginia football team and briefly left home to attend college to play ball. After only one semester, Richie dropped out and returned home to Alaska. Dang. Now, he had no contact with his family after leaving for college and did not contact them upon his return. Upon his return, he began dealing drugs and doing some light dog fighting. Okay. <laughs> Is there such a thing? Is that a real light dog fighting? It's a light dog fighting on the side. Oh, God. From 1998 to 2005, he was arrested several times for various drug-related charges. In 2005, he was apprehended for charges of a home invasion. 
He spent two years in prison, and after his release, he went and lived in Virginia for a couple years until he finally returned to Anchorage, Alaska in February of 2016 following a breakup with his then-girlfriend. Now, after 72 hours of investigating the shootout, police contacted the victims' families of the other shootings, and the Anchorage Police Department Chief Chris Tolley hosted a press conference in which they announced the connection between the homicides and the attempt on Officer Salejo's life. It appears that Richie was, in fact, the serial killer that they were looking for. Oh, good! Additionally, it was confirmed that the investigation had revealed the connection between the murders, but the task force withheld it from the public, out of concern that Richie would have disposed of the gun that he realized it was being sought. The weapon, which had been purchased in 1971, was not registered to Richie. The original owner was questioned by the Anchorage Police Department, and it wasn't stated how he got a hold of the gun, but he definitely had the gun, and it was not, you know, consent. He did not give the gun to Richie. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Now, he was connected to all the crimes via ballistics, and the gun was also possibly involved with other crimes in Virginia and Nevada. Oh. So it appears that perhaps the gun went through a series of black market sales (laughs) before it finally landed with Richie, and it is thought that Richie used the gun in some crimes in Virginia. Okay. The Nevada crimes, I think, were somebody else. But they didn't really go into great detail. But the gun had a history, basically. (laughs) Interesting. You can I I do find it interesting because, like you said, the black market trade of weapons is a relatively common thing in the United Mm -hmm. States. But it is interesting to me that you would get a gun or a weapon that has like a history before you, because of course that's the one you want to sell to somebody else to not connect back right to you. But yeah weird it's just weird to think about it is yeah so this case is pretty unsatisfying in a sense that there is no no motive for the crimes and richie did not leave any evidence or documentation behind about the crimes or why he did it at the time these crimes were committed richie was homeless and he was in fact living you know at random people's houses and on the street Mm -hmm. and trivian kendall's mother did in fact see him on the street. That was him. Okay. Whether or not he actually did have a gun in his hand is left to, you know, the imagination. We don't really know. Yeah. It does sound like he was carrying it on him all the time, though, if he had it readily available to shoot at police, you know? I think he was carrying it with him at all times. And that was pretty much the only possession that he had. Mm -hmm. When he returned from Virginia after breaking up with his girlfriend... He was sleeping on people's couches, and he didn't have a job. I mean, he was dealing drugs, but that was about it. So it, from my um, understanding, he cursorily knew most of the people that he shot from just being on the street. Wild. So that is the unsatisfying crime of the Anchorage serial killer. Dang. And, um, yeah. (laughs) Don't do crimes, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So I am going to be looking at somebody who's actually got a little bit of connection to our home state. Whoa. Not on purpose, but on accident. I didn't realize until I started looking at this case, I was like, oh, damn. So we're going to be talking about Michael Silka. So Michael Silka was originally from Hoffman Estates, Illinois, which is Whoa. a suburb outside <laughs> of Chicago. Yeah, that's very close to where Janelle and I are from. He grew up with this love of the outdoors and things like hunting and fishing, which is like something that's very common for around here, I feel like, especially in the Midwest, like everybody and their mother, I feel like, goes hunting. Mm -hmm. But his affinity for firearms is actually what would get him into trouble. He, a lot of times, was catching charges as a juvenile for various things, including unlawful use of a weapon, burglary, shoplifting, and resisting arrest. He had been caught trying to steal camping gear and weapons from a sporting goods store and later was arrested for carrying an antique black powder muzzle-loading rifle. Hmm. Suka was described as, like, this sort of the general troublemaker that you run into in your school years. Like, a lot of times, I always talk about these people as, like, little twerps. They just cause issues all the time. I know a couple of those. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I'm sure you could think of at least five people off the top of your head that's like, yeah, this person was constantly, you know, interrupting or disrupting classes or causing some sort of trouble, right? So after high school, Silka decided to join the army and he, it, there he learned to be a sharpshooter. And eventually ended up being stationed at Fort Wainwright, which was near Fairbanks, Alaska, in 1981. It was there he formed this love of the Alaskan wild and kind of dreamed of moving into the interior to become a fur trapper. Like a lot of people, you can even see now there's like a lot of homesteaders and stuff up in Alaska who mm -hmm. were just like, we just want to move up there, live off the land. And that's that's like the dream. Silka was is was one of those. He did continue to have disciplinary issues while he was enlisted in the army, including an assault charge and an arrest for discharging a firearm in the barracks. Eventually, his antics landed him an honorable discharge and he returned back to Illinois, where he worked a variety of jobs, mostly stuff in construction. Silka continued to have run-ins with the police after he returned to Illinois, 
In late 1982, Soko had been pulled over for a minor traffic violation when police discovered a variety of weapons in his car, including a 44 caliber revolver, a 22 semi-automatic pistol, and two knives, which landed him a weapons charge and resisting arrest when he refused to get out of the squad car when it arrived at the police station. The following year, Silka received yet another weapons charge after South Barrington police found a 22 caliber rifle in his car again after a speeding violation. Damn, son. <laughs> so he would just be getting pulled over for these minor things like, hey, you got a taillight out. Also, apparently you've got a ton of weapons in your backseat. You've got a gun so that's out. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's well, and there's part of me that's like, I'm sure because of his record, they could look at that record and be like, okay, we need to search the car. Like, obviously, if you have somebody that has multiple weapons charges all the time, it's like, even for minor stuff, you got to search the car because it's just not safe. But then there's part of me that just imagines him getting pulled over, the cop walking up to the car, and then, like, looking in the back seat to just see, like, a buffet of weapons. (laughs) A smorgasbord. Yeah. (laughs) So... After this, twenty, he, they found this twenty-two caliber rifle in his car. He had a variety of court dates that he needed to go to. The last time that he was actually seen in court was October 26, 1983. But he did not appear at subsequent court dates because he had decided to flee to Dauphin, Canada, where... He was like waiting out the winter and preparing before he was going to head to Alaska. Of course, authorities immediately issued a warrant for his arrest. And so he was a wanted man. Silka showed up in Fairbanks, Alaska in the spring of 1984 in a brown Dodge sedan with a canoe strapped to the top. He was able to rent a small shack on the very edge of town. Now, descriptions of Silka at this time were this kind of like the very standard. If you think of a mountain man, like that kind of scraggly, you know, beard, longer hair, kind of, you know, that's Mm -hmm. his look. And he was 25 at this point in time. And when they talked to the neighbors, the neighbors who met him found him as like he's kind of a strange dude <laughs> so there's this great uh article on medium by robin bearfield and it describes this incident between silka and one of his neighbors quote on the afternoon of april 28th a neighbor woman chopped wood and chatted with her friend roger culp silka walked past his two neighbors and then suddenly stopped picked up a large stick angrily beating it against the woman's chopping block, sending debris flying into the air. He said, this is how you do it. And then walked away, leaving the woman and Culp stunned by his violent behavior, end quote. So he like, I don't know. He was trying to demonstrate chopping wood with a stick as he walked past, I guess, is what I gather from that. Anyway, while this this whole incident, this whole ordeal was was certainly jarring, it enraged Roger Culp who decided to follow Silka back to his shack, telling the woman that he was he's just be gone for a minute. He'll be back in like 15 minutes. But Culp never returned. And the woman, who at this point was like terrified for her life, hid inside of her own cabin for two days with a loaded shotgun, failing to report Culp's disappearance for a full nine days. Meanwhile, 
The day after the altercation, a a neighbor woman named Wendy Hooker went to Silka's cabin to confront him about a moose hide that she believed he had stolen, which is like the most Alaskan shit I can think of. So she knocked on the door and no one answered, but she noticed like this little, a very small pool of blood outside of the front door but very easily wrote it off as a recent small game kill. It's probably like a rabbit or something, right? Hooker then decided to go around back and try knocking on the back door, where, again, according to the Medium article, quote, she saw a three-foot-by-six-foot mound of freshly turned snow and blood soaking up through the snow in her footprints, end quote. Again, uh, Hooker tried to get Silka's attention, and while she was convinced that he was inside, nobody had answered the door. And so Hooker left and, and relayed the story to a friend named Tom, who returned to Silka's cabin on her behalf. This time, Silka opened the door, admitted that he had taken the moose hide, and then promised to return it. Okay. Now later, both Hooker and Tom told this strange story to a third friend named Don Hopkins. Eventually, the three of them like put the pieces together and realized that Roger Culp had disappeared and Hopkins decided to call the Alaska State Troopers to report the suspicious encounter. Unfortunately, the troopers misunderstood what the story was and ended up thinking that both Culp and Silka had disappeared and that Culp had actually been the one to kill Silka rather than the other way around. So they went out to Silka's cabin to investigate, eventually like making their way to the backyard where they found the snow mound underneath was only a moose hide and an additional, there's like an additional hide hanging in the tree. And Mm -hmm. in the front, they did see the pool of blood at the front door, but there wasn't an amount of blood that they would have been alarmed with. Mm -hmm. So when they knocked on the door, Silka answered and put the authorities' mind this this like the fact that they were thinking Silka was a murder victim and then he answered the door is like, okay, cool. Like obviously he's not a murder victim. Case solved. <laughs> right? Oh my God. Yeah. So This is giving me like Fargo feels. Right? It's very strange. And I wonder, like I know when you get calls from people, sometimes you have to ask a bunch of questions to kind of get to the heart of whatever the complaint is or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever the emergency is. But it's like, how did you get it so wrong? How? <laughs> so wrong. So he told the police that he had been cleaning um, moose hides for a friend and used that as like an explanation for the blood. At this point, because they thought that Silka had been a murder victim, when in actuality he hadn't, they didn't have any reason to suspect that a murder had occurred, so they left. Oh, man. Which is just crazy, because this is... Remember how it took Roger Culp's friend nine days to report his disappearance? So Yeah. This all happens within that nine-day period, right? This happens a few days after that first interaction. Three completely separate people report this to the police. They go to Silka's cabin, figure out he's not a murder victim. They're like, cool. A few days after that is when Culp's friend actually reports the disappearance. So once she told the troopers that 
she had heard shots after Culp went to Silka's residence. They returned to the cabin to further investigate. But by the time that they had arrived, Silka had already left, disappearing into the Alaskan wilderness. They did investigate for a full two days afterwards, eventually finding patches of bloodstained peat grass. And the blood itself was sent for testing. Once it came back, to, it was determined that it was human blood. So kind of missed their shot on that one a little bit, I would say. Yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> Michael Silka fled to a tiny town named Manly Hot Springs, which is an area that saw some decent expansion during the gold rush, but had really diminished to only about 50 residents by the time that Silka arrived. Again, from Robin Bearfield's article, quote, when Michael Silka arrived in Manly on Monday, May 13th, 1984, most residents found the 25-year-old man strange and a little scary. Silka told Patricia Lee, who ran Manly Roadhouse with her husband, Bob, he could smell clams even when they were covered by six feet of water. Sorry. That was... <laughs> what? I know. Weird That's claim. the most Alaska thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I can smell the clams even under six feet of water. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's a weird flex. Uh, <laughs> it's a very weird flex. <laughs> Another manly resident described Silka as okay, but odd. And she said he seemed obsessed with a large knife he kept sharpening, end quote. Which <laughs> mm-hmm. is just like. He's okay, but he's a little weird. He's got a big knife that he sharps all, sharpens all the time, but, you know, he's, he's just okay. <laughs> Four days after he arrived in the small town of Manly Hot Springs, he gave the townspeople something to be scared of, uh, for sure. On May 17th, 1984, six of the town's residents went to the Manly Hot Springs boat landing 38-year-old Joe McVeigh and 24-year-old Dale Madaj- Mad- Mad- uh, wait, hold on. <laughs> I had it before we started and now I don't. Dale Mad- Madajski. Madajski. There we that go. Dale great. Madajski. <laughs> <laughs> McVeigh and Madajski were there to launch a boat. 27-year-old Albert Hagen Jr., drove a load of brush to dump into the river. And then there was the Klein family, 36-year-old Lyman, 30-year-old Joyce, who was also pregnant at the time, and their son, two-year-old Marshall, who had taken their four-wheelers to the landing for just like a family day out. There was a seventh person, 30-year-old Fred Burke, who had also boated to the landing from his camp upstream a little bit, intending to work on a car that he kept in Manly. All of these people were there between noon and 2.30 p.m. Now, later in the day, after her husband, Joe McVeigh, had not come home for the evening, Alice McVeigh went to the boat launch to see, like, what the holdup was. And when she got there, she found McVeigh's boat was still there and that there was an unopened six-pack of beer left in the truck. (laughs) Alice was worried but thought they might turn up eventually so she waited until noon the following day before she reported her husband missing in fact many of the people at the boat launch that day had failed to return home and so everybody's slowly began sort of realizing that their loved ones were potentially missing 
And in the search for all of these people, someone drove down to the boat launch where they had found a car and assumed that this person was also missing along with everybody else. So they called the plates into the Alaska State Troopers who discovered after running the plates that the car belonged to none other than Michael Silka. Mm-hmm. Once it was discovered that they had a murder suspect in the area, authorities began a search of the river beginning at dawn break the Saturday after the disappearances using two helicopters, three planes, and the Troopers Special Emergency Reaction Team, which is a group trained in sort of high-risk operations and armed with automatic weapons. Upon further investigation of the boat landing, troopers discovered splotches of blood with drag marks and spent shell casings. As the search continued, troopers became even more worried because at this point, they knew Silka was potentially dangerous and that he was a former sharpshooter in the army and that he had very little to lose uh, at this point. (laughs) Great combo. (laughs) Yeah. It's probably the three things you do not want in a person that you're looking for. Like, ugh. So on the afternoon of Saturday, when the search started, they discovered a canoe tied off to a tree downriver. The helicopter descended and seeing Silka, one of the troopers used a bullhorn to try to demand his surrender. But he was not willing to go down without a fight and pulled his 3006 Ruger single shot rifle out and began shooting at the helicopter. There was this exchange of firefight. Silka hit one of the troopers in the face, killing him instantly. In return of fire, Silka was shot eight times in the legs, body and head, dying from his injuries. Wow, we both picked a death by cop. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which, again, I think points to this idea of, like, everybody in Alaska owning guns, right? Mm-hmm. It probably happens more often than not because I think – what am I trying to say? Like, I don't want to say that people in Alaska are irrational, but it's like when you have a gun at your disposal and you start firing at the police, you can only assume that somebody's going to get shot and, and die, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just as a general life rule, if you shoot at the police – they will probably shoot back. I mean, sometimes you don't even have to shoot at them. They just exist. Right. <laughs> right. Sometimes you'll still you don't get even shot. have to have a gun. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah. sighs> uh, depressing. Mm-hmm. So the troopers continued searching for the missing townspeople, eventually finding their bodies in the Tanana River, um, which is the river that the, the boat landing was on. Joe Burke, Lyman Klein, Dale Medajski, and Larry McVeigh had all been found by June 23rd, 1984. Fred Burke's body was discovered actually by his wife, a full 75 miles from the Manly boat landing. Hmm. Unfortunately, the bodies of Joyce Klein, her young son Marshall Klein, and Albert Hagen Jr. were never found, along with the body of Roger Culp in Fairbanks. In one day... Silka managed to destroy 10% of a town's population, which completely left Manly Hot Springs like reeling from the destruction. Everybody was, everybody knew these people. It's, you know, when you're talking about Mm -hmm. a town of 50 people, it doesn't take a lot to 
really affect the community in a big way. Now, I do want to finish out with a quote from Alaska State Police spokesman Paul Ed Scorn that was included in a Chicago Tribune article about the slayings. Quote, what really set him off? No one knows, but he was obviously a loner. If he doesn't fit in with other people, you've got a situation very likely to create hostility. Alaska still has a romantic image for many people. It's going to be a place where people go to live in the wilderness. It's the land of opportunity. It's the last frontier. A lot of people we describe as end of the roaders are people who are really trying to escape from other people and from themselves and are, in fact, more isolated with themselves here than they've ever been, end quote. So that is the story of Michael Silka. <sighs> so very similar. <laughs> mm. I know. I know. I Not intentionally. It just ends up like this where we mm-hmm. kind of choose these similar cases. But before you decide to travel to the darkness of the Alaskan wild. Maybe don't. Maybe, <laughs> maybe don't, first of all. But maybe check out this podcast. Hey, Linda. Hey, Louise. What's wrong? Well, I love podcasts, but I need a new one. Do you know if there are anywhere two sweetie sisters talk about movies from the 80s and 90s that shape their childhood existence and also that have a cat that makes a ruckus in the background? Do I? Let me tell you a podcast I started listening to called Large Marge Sent Us. Two sisters break down classic 80s and 90s movies like The Princess Bride, Never Ending Story, and Pee-wee's Big Adventure. They even did a whole month dedicated to Fred Savage flicks. Wow, I love Fred Savage. Where can I get this magical podcast? You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, or Google Play. You can also follow them on Twitter, at The Sweetie Club. And don't forget to tell them, Large Marge sent you to this podcast. All right, Janelle, that has been our show. We're done. And what a show head has been. thank you guys so much for joining us if you like this episode and you want to hear more like us you can go to badtastepodcast.com where you will find everything (laughs) yay (laughs) everything we're probably going to do this for a while because i gotta like get in my brain all the new brand stuff i gotta like write some posties in front of where we record so that i can yeah remember all this shit (laughs) me too You can still find us on social media at all the same places, and we will reach out to you guys with anything new that's changed. We don't have any events coming up, because hashtag COVID. Um, (laughs) Hashtag our life is over. (laughs) um, Yeah, I mean, do you have anything else before we close out, Janelle? (laughs) No? um, Yeah, I got nothing. Just keep on keeping on. That's good. say. (laughs) Take a yeah, nap. Yeah, yeah, Enjoy some something sweet and delicious. <laughs> mm, yes. Relax. <laughs> <laughs> With that, we will say our sound and editing is by Tiff Fullman. Our music is by Jason Zakshevsky, the Enigma. <laughs> this has been the Bad Taste Crime Podcast. We will see you in two weeks. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. as if a wave of evil washed over this town. We are all people in some form or another. Ouch. I just like, I just like punched my desk. Hold on a second. (laughs) (laughs) 
even when I'm not with you, I'm like hand talking. 